introduce to the stage for the first time ever tonight, Mr. Benjamin Fleming. Round of applause for Ben. <laughs> All right. Wow. Praise the Lord. Nothing like uh, getting ready to come up and preach and hearing the people before you say, yeah, it's a loose, a loose theology. <laughs> it's, a, it's a loose theology. Uh, man, super stoked that you're here tonight. Really stoked on that move as well, May 2nd. Um, part of the, the bigness of that move is that we are going to have child care. Uh, so I know that there's... Uh, <laughs> I know there's a fair amount of you uh, that even have your own kids or maybe somebody that's come every so often and, and it's like, yeah, I'm interested, but, you know, hanging on to my kid for an hour or an hour and 15 minutes and stuff. We're going to have child care. And that first big night, May 2nd, we're going to blow it out. We're going to have a food truck. Um, we're going to have bonfire outside. It's going to be a good time. We're going to hang out a lot before. We're going to hang out a lot after. It's going to be a good time, okay? Uh, so really excited about that. Just excited about the growth. You don't see it as much tonight because it's spring break. Um, but man, God's just doing awesome things in, in this place already, and we're excited for more. Amen? Amen. Go ahead, open, open up your Bibles or your Bible apps to uh, or your Precious Moments Bible to Luke in chapter 7. And you can go to verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Here we go. It says, uh, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home, and they sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, she said to him, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him she's a she's a sinner and then jesus answered his thoughts simon he said to the pharisee i have something to say to you go ahead teacher simon replied and then jesus told him this story a man loaned money to two people 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other but neither of them could repay him so he kindly forgave them both canceling their debts who do you suppose loved him more after that simon answered i suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt that's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said, Simon, look at the woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little only shows a little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table among themselves, who is, said, said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We are in uh, the last edition of a sermon series that we're calling The Big Bay Theory for the last five weeks. Uh, if you want to catch up, you can go ahead and check it out on our podcast page. Uh, if you search for Westside Exchange, wherever you get your podcasts, it'll pop up there and you can catch up on the first few weeks. The audio has been kind of fuzzy for the first little bit. I think tonight is the first night we actually have it completely fixed. Uh, but we've really been delving into this topic of sex, dating, relationships, singleness, all that kind of stuff that... that 
is involved with, uh, well, a lot of us at this stage of our lives. And I don't know if it ever really truly goes away. Uh, And I want to remind you, just as we have most of these weeks, God wants you to have great relationships. This is one of the the main reasons that he put us on this planet is so that we could have relationship and community with him and that we could have relationship and community with each other. Uh, and there's something about specifically this romantic love, this marriage that that has gotten such a, a bad rap over the last while, right? Over the last, well, maybe forever of eternity. Because marriage is hard because relationships can be hard and, and they're not perfect and they're not all put together. There's a reason why all the Disney movies end at the kiss, right? Or at the wedding or at the first time their hands touch. There's a reason that it ends there because all the work begins after that. But I believe that God wants us to have fulfilling, incredible relationships, relationships that allow us to live life to the fullest and allow us to walk out God's calling as as best we can. So we're going to preach on this subject for the final time tonight. We're going to talk about the most difficult part of relationships, right? So let's pray one more time together and we'll get all the way into it. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, uh, Lord, that you love us, that you're among us tonight, Jesus. We thank you for incredible relationships. Lord, I pray just an anointing for all those in this room tonight, all those under the sound of my voice for for incredible relationships, Lord, that we would want to make decisions, good decisions, based on what you have put in our heart because of who you have told us to be, God. Tonight we reject shame. We reject fear when it comes to relationships, Lord. We reject fear of, of singleness, God. We reject fear of being inadequate. Instead, God, we press in to all that you are. We declare that you want the greatest relationships for us. And while that's not going to look like something perfect or maybe what we've always dreamed of, it's going to show who you are to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, everybody said amen, amen, amen. Uh, I share I share stories about my wife and I often, and I will continue to do so because they are the most telling stories of my life. Um, but it, it makes a lot of sense, especially during this sermon series. And I was thinking about getting ready for tonight and uh, specifically wanted to attack this this subject of forgiveness, uh, being forgiven, what it means to be forgiven, what it means to forgive other people and what that does for all of us and what it does for the world around us. And I started to think of this story. Uh, my wife and I, and I think I've referenced this before, our first year of marriage was rough. It was rough. We were both going to school and I was working full time. I had I was taking 15 credits at school my last year of school uh, and I was working 40 hours a week for a newspaper in town as a sports reporter. And my wife was in her final year of nursing school. Uh, any nurses in the house? Any of you guys? Yeah. One. Heather. All right. You're already friends with my wife. This is not working out how I thought it would be. And um <laughs> But uh, nursing school is just it just takes a serious toll. And I know that that's not the only major, the only thing that can take a toll. But I mean, it was really uh, she, she even tells me that she was married to her books and she was married to her classes that first year. And I was just kind of there to cook her dinner. And uh, we had a lot of conversations like I would go downstairs to watch football and they wouldn't even be up loud. And she'd be like, hey, you turn it down. I'm studying. You want to make money or not? And like, I'm sorry, ma'am. Love you. I think that's still my wife up there. <laughs> Sounded different and scary, but um, she doesn't podcast this stuff. It's okay. And uh, But our first year of marriage was really, really rough. Just Part of it was just because of the time spent. We were so 
busy. We were doing a lot of things. And, and when you're adjusting to uh, living together with somebody and trying to share life and share finances, there was this one night. And this is when I knew that I grew up poor and my wife didn't. <laughs> but I came home and my wife's sitting at the dining room table and she's just crying. And I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> like, shoot, I'm really tired and she's crying and now I have to be, uh, you know, this is really, I'm such a horrible person. I was like, oh man, I don't know if I have the emotional energy for this right now, but I jumped into it anyway. I said, honey, like, what's up? Like, what's going on? And she said, all we have have is oatmeal and that's it. And I was like, all right. Oh no, we got peanut butter, honey. There's peanut butter in here. You make the oatmeal, you put the peanut butter in it. Oh, shoot, we could have this for days. <laughs> this was commonplace in my house growing up. You know, you got groceries, and then you hoped that they lasted you to the end of the month. And if they didn't, you know, you smuggled something home from school or something. <laughs> and so I'm going, all right, oatmeal, that's better than, you know, I don't know, spaghetti with no sauce or something. There's a hierarchy. And, <laughs> and she's just crying. This is not her experience. <laughs> and I was... I was like, man, this is just, we're so different, and we live different lives. We were raised differently. We grew up in different cities, different. Our parents had different goals in life and in mind, and uh, we're trying to mesh these kind of two ideologies and backgrounds and experiences all together, and it's a tough thing to do. I think it's tough for just about anybody. I don't care how, how old you are. There's something about when you get married young, you get to grow up together. That is so cool. And there's something about when you get married a little bit older, you get to skip a lot of the shenanigans that would happen when you were younger. And there's a maturity level as you come in, but there's something weird because you've been so independent for so long about meshing your life together. It's just no matter how you slice it, when you get married, you get married young, old, whatever the case may be. You got a job. You don't have a job. Please have a job when you get married. Dudes. <laughs> Especially, like, please, <laughs> podcast, the podcast from two podcasts ago, and you'll see on the podcast. And, um, but there's something about meshing two lives together that is so difficult, and it's so, it's so crazy. No matter who you are, it's a tough thing. And really, well, after I got through one, two, three years of marriage, uh, I literally said this. Rebecca and I had a conversation about this. I said, you know, I see why people get a divorce in this year range so often in two and three. Then, you know, we weren't being mean to each other, but we were both just like, because it's really hard. And you start to think about this idea of forever. And it's like, wow, forever is like forever. And, you know, and you start to realize, oh my gosh, I thought I could change some specific things about them. And I can't, it's not happening. It's not working. She's looking at me going, he still leaves his underwear in the same place on the bed every day. And I told him repeated, there's a hamper. And then I bought a bigger hamper and it's not happening. And I won't talk about underwear anymore this message. Okay. And, uh, that's not a promise, but I remember one night specifically in our first year of marriage, we had gotten into bed and we were fighting just like crazy. And it got, we started fighting at about 11 or 11.30 and we fought until 2 a.m. having this conversation. And I fell asleep. <laughs> Mid-argument, I kid you not, I fall asleep and I wake up to my wife shaking me and she goes, we're not done! And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm mad. Shoot, what were we talking about? I forget. And to this day, I still have no idea what we were talking about. But I fell asleep while we were fighting. She was not okay with that. 
You will not let the sun go down on your anger. I remember her saying, they don't let your sun down, the sun go down on your anger. And I was like, honey, it's already like two. The sun is long gone. I just want to sleep. We've already sinned against God. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and it was this tough situation. And, and, and there are so many things. It's so funny. There are so many things that honestly, I, don't, I still don't think that we fully agree on. And there are some things that she's done that have hurt me. And there are a lot more things probably that I've done that, I've, that have hurt her. And it was even like, just to be totally honest with you, this happened this last week. I was grumpy all day about something stupid. And I was kind of mean to my wife and I was kind of mean to my family all day. And then at, later at night, I like doubled down on it. And my wife called me out and I said, you're wrong and this and that. And even as I'm talking, I'm like, gosh, he's totally right. And I got into bed and this is something that I've had to say ever since I was a little kid when my dad would force me. But I got into bed and I looked at my wife and I said, honey, you're absolutely right. I was wrong. And then I listed all the things that I did wrong and I asked her to forgive me. Which, I don't know about you, but every single time those words are about to come out of my mouth, it's like, will you? <laughs> will you acknowledge that you had something to do with my anger? No, you know, like, <laughs> that's what I want to say, you know, but it's, will you, for, will you forgive me? And it's a tough thing. But what I've realized, and this goes along with, with so many other important things, you know, but that how, how important forgiveness is and really have an understanding of how forgiveness works that there is an amount of grace that is involved in forgiveness that is absolutely ridiculous it's it's forgiveness is 100% grace otherwise it's not truly forgiveness and this is how I know that sometimes we want to forgive people like sometimes I want to forgive my wife she does something that hurts me I want to forgive her when she fixes her problem Oh, you hurt me in this way. All right, we'll do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and then I will forgive you. That's not forgiveness. That's not giving grace to somebody. You understand what I'm saying? And so often we get caught up in this idea that forgiveness will come when all of a sudden I feel better about the situation or I've allowed enough time to go by where, where I, I feel a lot more numb to the situation. I can offer up the words, I forgive you. Let's be honest. Forgiveness has nothing to do with everything being okay in the situation. And when it comes to your marriage and when it comes to your relationships, you're going to have to learn to forgive often before you are happy about how the, the relationship or how the situation has been rectified. You are going to have to forgive when you do not want to, for that is the very definition of forgiveness. Jesus looks at this woman, and I love how he points it out. Like, Jesus is so straight up about it. He goes, her sins, which are many. He looks around at everybody, you know, I'm sure, just like that. She's got a lot of them, guys. Many sins. Some of your translations say that she was a prostitute. She was a well-known prostitute, some of your translations will say. I know, Jesus says, of all of her sins. I know that she's a sinner. I know that she is a bad, bad woman. And it's not just because that she's come in here, she's anointed my feet and all those things because the, just the simple act of works cannot possibly put away all the sin. But Jesus makes the decision to forgive her without seeing any evidence that her life is fully turned around, without a step-by-step -step process, without a, okay, once you memorize these scriptures and then you write them down this minute. No, none of that. 
Jesus comes into the situation and he says, I forgive you. Why is that? Because he wants to. Because he makes the decision to forgive her. Now, I've been thinking about this whole concept when it comes to just the church as a whole. I'm, I, I grew up in the church, and obviously I work at a church. I'm a pastor, and I, I think often about where society is going, where culture is going, where the world is going, and, and where the church is going. And how can the church be effective as we go forward with, uh, with how all these changes are happening and what people are talking and what people are thinking about? Because I think it's important for the church to stay relevant. I'm not talking about the kind of pants that we wear, and I'm not talking about the music that we play, but I'm talking about the issues that come up. I believe that social justice needs to be a, a big part, a big issue for the church as well. It's not just for nonprofits. It's not just for liberals. It's not just for people that want to travel the world, but it's for the church. The church has to take up its own piece of social justice, and it needs to do the work to show Jesus to the world in such a way. I think the church has to be continue to be effective in this world. And so I start thinking, man, what is the church? What is the church's goal since the beginning of, of forever? Since Jesus showed up, what is the church's goal? What are we to do? Because sometimes I get caught up in in like the day to day stuff of it, you know, and I know that it's just because I'm a pastor and not all you guys have the same experience. But sometimes I think, okay, church, I work at a church, all right? I have a meeting every Tuesday night that I got to run, and we got to get somebody to get pizza, and we got to get coffee, and we got to, who's going to do the music? And you can get caught up in the logistics, and then oftentimes God grabs me and just says, okay, but what are we doing? Why are we worshiping? Are we worshiping because it's, it's part of the, the rhythm and the routine for everybody that goes to church? And why are we singing these songs? Is it just because people know them or is it new and people don't know? What, why are we doing this? Or are we worshiping because we really believe the presence of God shows up when we begin to lift up our voice? That when we gather together as a community and we begin to worship Jesus, is it because his presence is here? Is it because we believe that he loves us? Is it because we believe that no matter where we're at, no matter what circumstances we face, that God can lift us up and impart his grace and the reality of who he is in that moment. Is that why we're doing it? Because then we can keep doing it. For anything less, we're going to cut the thing out and get rid of the music. I don't care any longer. Why are we teaching the word? Is it because we believe that, that preaching, since, since the disciples did it themselves, has, has allowed God's presence to be spoken out and has changed and turned the heart of man? If that's what we believe, and that's why we're doing it today, and we believe the same God is here today, then we will continue to do it. But ultimately, what is the goal? What is the goal of the church? Well, I really believe that it comes down to Jesus' new commandment. He said, he says, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we need to love people. And in turn, allow people to see Jesus so that they will turn and they will love the world around them. This is the whole goal of the church. It's very simple. And it sounds like it goes on a greeting card or a t-shirt, right? Like all you need is love quote Jesus, you know, <laughs> or the Beatles. We're not sure. <laughs> and, uh, and it sounds so cliche and it sounds so boring and it sounds so surface level when it comes to Christianity, but here's where I'm bringing it into what we're talking about tonight. Jesus himself says in this passage of scripture, he says, those who have been forgiven much, they love much. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. 
And so I want to make the argument with you tonight, or I want to show you tonight, illuminate this idea that maybe the love that we are looking for from the world and maybe the love that we are supposed to give into the world doesn't simply start with saying, man, I just believe in Jesus and that's all awesome too. Or man, we just need to love, so we're going to go love. Maybe this love that we've been looking for in our own lives and maybe the love that needs to come into our relationships, maybe the love that needs to come into our marriages doesn't just start with saying, I want to love you forever, but instead it starts with forgiveness. What a huge thing to be reminded over and over and over and over again of this revelation that God came and he, he put skin on, that he dealt with so many of the things and the temptations and everything that we have gone through. And, and he came down and, and he died upon the cross for our sin, which offered us grace and forgiveness and mercy for all eternity so that we could spend forever with our Father God. That reminder of the gospel itself should shake us to our core and awaken the reality of the forgiveness that has been lavished on us and then love should pour out from that reality. Man, sometimes we come into church and I get so sick of it. Here, I'm just going to be straight up. That crazy, like, this is why millennials aren't going to church anymore article that shows up on Facebook all the time drives me nuts. And I believe that some of it is true, that the church can do better at this, but I want to look at the author and I want to look at millennials that agree with it and aren't going to church and say, go to church and start it for the love of God. Quit picking on the church. Go do it. Jeez, start a church, whatever, like do it, do community. If this is what you're looking for and you believe that God will be evidenced through this, maybe don't go to a horrible church that thinks your ideas are terrible and they don't want to love people, but find a church that does want to go out, that wants to expand, that wants to reach people, that wants to pour out on them. But sometimes we're looking for this, like, I want to be fed kind of community. And I got to tell you right now that honestly, you're not going to find it here. I really believe that my job, according to the scripture, is to equip you as best I can to be the people, the saints of Jesus Christ, to go out into your community, to go into the, all the world and preach the gospel to all the nations. I want to be an equipper, but honestly, I'm not here to grab a hold of you guys, you know, for lack of a better term, to grab a hold of the sheep and shove their face down in the grass and say, eat it! Because here's the deal, you guys. Solomon even said it himself. It's like, there's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Music is great. Sermonizing and great preaching is important. And good theology is stellar. But I got to tell you guys, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you're not going to find this brand new, incredible, shiny revelation. Instead, you will always, always find this reality that you can go out and you can show the world the gospel that you already know. Which is horrifying, right? No, I want to go to church and I want to hear it because that's super easy. And I talk to people, honestly, anytime, and it doesn't happen very often anymore because I think I'm kind of mean to these people, which I need help with. Like, I need to not do this. Like, you know, gosh, I just don't know if I want to come to this group. I'm not, like, really being fed anymore. And I want to go, oh, yeah, are you just, like, pouring out so much? Where are you? Who are you preaching to? Who are you ministering to? Are you going out and you're doing And it's usually like, well, no, like, I've tried out a few different churches. I'm like, for the love of God, find a church that believes in Jesus that preaches the gospel, 
that loves the word and become a part of it and become an effective part of that community. Stop being so excited about getting fed and instead find a place that will encourage you so that you can go and do the work of the ministry yourself. But the fact of the matter is, is that, and this is where all that comes in. I promise I'm not just ranting. I'm maybe a little bit. I told you I wouldn't talk about underwear. I didn't say I wouldn't rant about Facebook articles, okay? But the fact of the matter is, is that all of these things, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to our walk with Jesus, all of these things, eventually they have to be, they have to be done. And we have to go and we have to do them. Stacy, if you want to come up and start playing, I'm just going to close this thing down. Kind of a short, short one tonight. I was once talking to this, talking to this guy about, um, and I, I think I referenced this in a sermon previous, but I was talking to a guy about paint and paint color decisions. You guys know, like, like how crazy it is to pick a color to paint a room or a house like there's a billion different shades of every color and it can drive you nuts if you're looking for the perfect thing um what's cloud white and eggshell white and it drives me nuts but uh i was talking to this guy who paints and and he said he said it's so funny to the different the different kinds of people um and this is probably even taking his analogy a little bit farther than he had ever intended but he said you'll look at the people that create the paint swatches and you'll look at the people that want to go in and they want to buy the paint and he said they will have a committee they will pass the swatches to their family they will pass the swatches to their children to their friends to their whatever and it will be this painstaking decision on whatever and finally they 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 choose the paint he said but the thing is is that i'm the guy that goes and i put the paint on whatever they choose and he said it's so funny that it's, it's very different people i said us painters kind of look like a certain way you know and we act a certain way and we sound a certain way and in my mind i just think i really really don't want to get super caught up in us as a ministry or you as an individual with being you know we, we think about different types of people that we want to you know some of you like have a type you know i like five six you know five eleven to six two and he dark hair he's got to have good facial hair which is good you should want a guy with good facial hair um because they're super sexy and um <laughs> The irony is my wife hates my beard. But anyway, you know, you can get caught up in this kind of idea of types. And I, here's the thing. I hate to break this to you. Um, if you have a type, really, let me tell you this is the truth. When you go to marry someone, they are now your type. Okay? Forever. And if he gets fat, fat is now your type. If she has five babies and gets stretch marks, a woman who is a mother of five with stretch marks is now your type. That's how it is. When they get tan in the summer, tan is your type. When they get pale in the winter, pale is your type. That's how it is now. 
And sometimes we get so caught up in looking at the swatches of people and thinking about the brands and the kinds and the, you know, I want you to be careful about who you're dating. I don't want you to just date anybody under the sun or, of course, marry anybody under the sun. But the fact of the matter is, is that when we get in the relationship, when we get into the to the bare room that needs to be painted, there no longer needs to be a discussion about what color it is or what swatch we're picking or what kind of weird adjective describes the color. It has to just be painted. It's got to get onto the wall. Forgiveness for us as Christians and as for people that want to do relationships well cannot be a theological concept. It cannot be a paint swatch. It has to be painted onto the wall. It has to be painted onto our hearts. It has to be embedded in who we are, not just in the right mood, not just in the right place or with the right person who has appeased our anger to the right time, but it's about forgiving people. Why? Because Jesus forgave us. The Bible says that it's not that we love so well, but it's that Christ loved us first. And I got to tell you guys, if we want to see great relationships, if we want to see our husbands and wives satisfied in our marriages, if we want to see the world come to know Jesus, it will not be because they loved us first, but it's because we poured out the forgiveness first. And you want people to see Jesus, you got you to gotta let them see the forgiveness of God. And it's through grace not works that this world will change go ahead and invite the rest of the team up and we're just going to sing this song together it's just the truth about god and i just hope you're grabbing on to what i'm saying tonight it's real it's real simple because i'm a simple brain person and uh wasn't even a good sentence further adding to my point I just want you to grab onto that simple truth tonight. If church is theological and it's a bunch of ideas that you talk about and, and flame people on Facebook with, man, you're doing it wrong. But if church and forgiveness and the reality of Jesus becomes an active part of our lives, if forgiveness becomes a real, a real part, because I got to be honest with you, some of you in here, you need to forgive somebody that you have never given forgiven to. And you know what? They don't deserve it. And you need to forgive them anyway. And it needs to happen tonight because it's just grabbing onto your heart. You want them to feel this pain that you feel. That's the greatest thing about Jesus. When he's up there on the cross, he didn't look down at all the people persecuting him and say, man, I just want you to feel the pain that I'm in right now. Instead, Jesus said, you know, they don't know what they're doing. But I offer grace and forgiveness and it is, it's finished. It wasn't finished until forgiveness was offered. So, Father God, we give you the glory tonight. Oh, Lord, let Westside Exchange, let Westside Church, let Bend, Oregon, and the people that follow you in it, Jesus, be a people quick and anxious to forgive. God, we want to be people that are ready to forgive, not ready to hold grudges, not ready to put people in shame, not ready to push the world back because it disagrees with us at so many turns, but instead, God, we choose tonight to be a people, Lord, that want to forgive. We want to forgive for real. We love you, Jesus. In your great name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand and just sing this song, then we're going to close. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what